Our New Testament lesson is from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. It's the opening words to 2 Timothy. From Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God whom I worship with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, use your servants' lips, your people's ears and hearts, that they may be wed, that the seed of your word might be planted and brought forth with a resurrection joy. Amen and amen. Several years before his death, my grandfather's brother said to me, there's a story that I need to tell you that you probably won't hear anywhere else about your great-grandmother. Actually, it was my great-great-grandmother. He said years ago in the Methodist community, the Methodist church, in the late 1800s, your great-great-grandmother was attending a revival and the preacher had been preaching for several days and there was no reviving taking place. And so, the third or fourth night of the revival, your great-great-grandmother stood up in the middle of the service and interrupted the preacher. Now, Preachers are always scared to tell that kind of story. Don't get any ideas. But she said, nothing is happening here. Nobody is giving their life to Jesus, and I want to do something. And so she went out into the congregation, and she got her oldest child, and she came and she laid him on the altar and prayed this magnificent prayer. Lord, I offer my child to you. May his life be in your hands, and may he glorify you. Then she took him off and took the next child and so forth until all of her children had been offered to God. Now, some of those in attendance felt that was a bit odd. Had I been in attendance, I probably would have felt that was a bit odd also. And yet, my grandfather's brother said to me, look at her family tree. Look at her family tree and see how those who have believed in Jesus have made a difference in this world. Some of us come from lines of faith, families of faith that go back generations. For others, 
Faith is either a new thing, a first-generation thing, or, or maybe even you are considering making it a first-generation thing. For Timothy, there were at least three generations. Paul writes to him, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first lived in your grandmother, then your mother, and now also in you. As I think about my great-great-grandmother, as I consider Timothy and Lois and Eunice, as I have looked around for years at those that I have known in the communities of faith where I have served, I come to the conclusion that it's possible for the influence of one life to last beyond a single lifetime. It is possible for the influence of one life to last far beyond a single lifetime. Abraham in the Old Testament is called, get up and go. Go from this place that you've known, from your people, from your father's house. Go to a land where I will show you. And Abraham got up and left. I'm not sure that everybody who got up and left with him would have chosen to go. We kind of like it here, some of them may have said. We don't particularly want to leave. But Abraham had received the promise, the promise that if he looked up at the stars in the sky, his descendants would be more numerous than that. That the land that he walked upon would one day be his land. And by the time he died, all that he had to show for this promise was a grave where his wife was buried and a well. And yet we know the story of Abraham. We know that Abraham's seed have become numerous over all the earth and that blessing has come through Abraham. Abraham left the legacy. And then there's David. David, that imperfect king, who nonetheless has this designation in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. And he dreamed of building a temple so that God could be worshipped. And he wanted as much as anything to be the one who built that temple, and yet that dream would be carried on to Solomon, his son. And it would be Solomon's joy and honor to take that legacy of David's love for God and to, to put it into something that could be seen, a place where worship could take place. David dreamed beyond his own lifetime of building a temple for God. John Maxwell says this, If you're successful, it becomes possible for you to leave an inheritance for others But if you desire to create a legacy, then you need to have something that you leave in others. When you think unselfishly and invest in others, you gain the opportunity to create a legacy that will outlive you. Several years ago, there was a project that took over 2,000 obituaries from the New York Times over a 10-plus year, year period in, in which 
the researchers looked for common themes and common words and they were shocked to find that one of the themes that ran throughout the obituaries, these non-paid obituaries, was the verb to help. He helped. He helped when they needed a bus for the school down the street. She helped those who found help in no other place. It shows that it is possible for the influence of one life to last far beyond a single lifetime. You know these people. You can name them. There are probably half a dozen in your own life that you know of whose influence is outsized on you. Now knowing that, let me give you an exercise. The exercise is, when you're at home and you've had a bad day and you are grumpy, one of the things that, that often automatically goes through your mind is all the people who have done things to you that you can't stand. And you let those things play on, on replay. Flip that over. Think about those people whose influence on you has been oversized, supersized, incredible. And recognize how these people have, have influenced you beyond the influence of a single lifetime and how blessed you are that your path and their paths have crossed. Those of you from Danville, especially those of you who have had middle school students, recognize John W. Bate here. John W. Bate, for whom Bate Middle School is named, was born a slave in 1854. He and his family were freed in 1862. He had a missionary who offered to send him to school he went to school for a time, but after several of his family members became ill and several of them died, Bate was not able to finish high school in the way that we know it. He was, however, able to go to Berea College, and at age 26, John Bate came to Danville, Kentucky, in a one-room schoolhouse where he was the only teacher. John Bate became a teacher in Danville at age 26. He retired at age 85, died at age 91. Listen to how at the end of his life, John Bate was able to describe a legacy that he already saw unfolding. He said, I came to the school at 26. I retired from Bates School at 85. I found a one-room school and left the building with 20 rooms. I was the one teacher, and now there are 15. I found six students, and I left the school with 600. So how is it, how is it that we, as God's people, how is it that we can leave a legacy? How is it that the Bible shows us 
that our lives can matter and can matter for the long term, that it's possible for the influence of our lives to last beyond a single lifetime. Let's go to the last verse of the passage that we read moments ago. God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Now, one of the things you find as you study the Bible is that there are certain pieces of literature that have distinctive qualities. The writing of Paul or, or the writing that is inspired by Paul, depending on where you are, where you are reading from, um, shows you that Paul has a striking inability to end a sentence. So I'm actually coming, coming in to, to kind of the end of this passage, but, but he takes a moment to get there. In Ephesians 1, 17 through 20, if you're going to read it all in one breath, you have to take a deep breath. I'm not planning to do that. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. Now, pay attention to this phrase, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe? What is that power? God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Listen. The power that God put to work in the world when the body of Jesus was restored to life, not perishable life, but imperishable life, not mortal life, but immortal life, the power that was at work in that tomb outside of Jerusalem is the same power that is at work in your life. When you don't know what to do yet, and you are praying for God's guidance, it is resurrection power that is available to you. When you are aged and don't quite feel as young and rejuvenated as you did at 26 or 46 or, or even 66, it is the resurrection power of Jesus that accompanies you day by day. When you are trying to obey God and it's more difficult than you ever imagined that it would be, it is the resurrection power of Jesus that accompanies you. You have, by the gift of God, the resurrection power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, incorporated into your life as a Christian. God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power. And not just a spirit of power, but a spirit of love 
In John's gospel, this is the new commandment. This is the new focus of life as a person of faith. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. The Christian life is characterized by agape love. The Christian life is characterized by love that is more than self-serving. It is a love that offers itself, not as a doormat, not to be abused, but it is a love that offers itself in a real, a powerful, and often very, very specific ways to those we encounter, to those who are a part of our everyday living. The person that you encounter tomorrow may not be encountered by accident. The person you encounter tomorrow may be a part of God's design for your life. And God's design for your life is that the whole world will know that we are His disciples because of our love for each other. As Paul says to Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. First Peter, in three different places, talks about self-discipline. The first of this is the, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and discipline yourself for the sake of your prayers. This in modern understanding is, is often termed being proactive. Making the most of the opportunities that we are given. Not simply wandering through life without a goal. But identifying where it is that we believe by God's grace God wants us to be and moving ahead. Later on in 1 Peter, this wonderful image. Discipline yourselves. Keep alert like a roaring lion. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. God has given us the opportunity. God has given us the opportunity to live, to love, to learn, to leave a legacy. The gift that we have right now that every one of us is enjoying simultaneously is the gift of life, this breath that God breathed into humanity, this, this inhalation and exhalation that shows that we are alive and as long as there is life, there is hope and God's call continues to us. Love me. Love others. We're invited to love not the same way that the world loves. The world is happy to be kind to those who are kind and unkind to those who are unkind. We are called to love as Jesus loved. To say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. To say, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. We can live, we can love, we can learn. God calls us to be more understanding, to know different things a week from now, a month from now, a year from now than we do today. You don't know how to pray? The good news is you can learn. You don't know much about the book of Malachi? The good news is that you can study it over the next three weeks and decide you like Romans and Matthew better. You don't know how to be a good husband or wife or how to be a friend that that encourages another friend in a time of trouble. We live in an amazing time when bad advice is everywhere. But if you Google, how do I be a good friend? And if you sift through all of the meaningless responses, we live in an amazing era when information is at our fingertips. And and we as Christ's people, we as Christ's people can learn. We can learn something about the world every day. We can learn something about God every day. We can learn something about God's call on our lives every day. We can love the Lord not just with all our heart and soul, but we can love the Lord our God with all our minds. And we can leave a legacy. We can recognize the legacy that's been left for us. Those people that have had incredible influences on us. But at our best, we can live the kind of life that can be a positive influence and make a positive impact on someone around us. We won't all be Abrahams that change the history of the world and eventually make their way into the bloodline of the Messiah. We can't all be Davids building a temple at least in our dreams that will be built in reality by the next generation. We can't all be St. Paul happily going to martyrdom proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. But God has given you the possibilities that are as unique as your fingerprint. I guess fingerprints are old now and retinal scans are in. God has given you a possibility as unique as your fingerprint, as your retinal scan, to leave a legacy among the people that God has placed you near, among those that you have the opportunity to interact with at work, in your recreation, on your street. And so, dear friends, I want you to think about the next step. What would God have you do? What is the next thing that you should accomplish if you are to answer the invitation to live, to love, to learn, to leave a legacy? And what's keeping you from taking that next step? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.